Well, good morning. Thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you. I, um, I wanted to call this morning Thoughts on James, but not the one in the Bible, the other one, the one that's walking out right now. I love this guy, and I, have, I was so blessed to get introduced to James about three years ago. I'm not saying this because he invited me, I promise you. That brother right there is, if not the most genuine and humble pastor I've ever met, he's in the top two. And you guys, yeah, you guys, you guys know that because he loves you all well, and every time I'm with him, and it's, it's, I don't live in North Carolina anymore, I live back in Arkansas, but anytime I'm with him, I told him a couple days ago, I'm like, I'm just challenged to dig deeper in God's word than ever before, because he knows the word, and he lives it, and he loves people well, and that's just, like, I want to be him, I want to be him, and so I'm just, I'm super thankful, bro, I love you, you know that, thanks. Um, really, really humbled to be with you guys this morning. Um, I, you know, like in baseball, everybody has like their walk-up song. Like I feel that last song, Melissa, that you sang, that should be my walk-up song because I, I am so indebted to the goodness of God. Like I found myself just kind of tearing up because I'm like, I don't, I shouldn't even sit here. I shouldn't even stand here. But God in his goodness like uh, takes broken people and he redeems broken people, doesn't he? Amen? I mean, he just takes us and he just, he just transforms us. And we, at the end of this thing, you look back, you're like, man, God, what a privilege it is to like do your stuff. You don't need us, but you invite us in. And that's how I feel standing up in front of you all this morning. It's like any time, every time, every single time I engage God's word, for something that I'm going to speak to or a, a group I'm going to hang out with, 100% of the time I end up at the end of that thing, it was all for me and probably not for you at all. God just, he, he just ministers to my heart. And, and even in this teaching today, you know, James said, hey, can you keep, keep going in this series? I'm like, yeah, that'd be, that'd be sweet. Let's, let's go for it. So we're in Mark 14. I'm like, man, I've never really hung out there a, a lot in this particular area. And so what's God going to reveal? And then, boom, he just drops it on me. I'm like, oh, yeah, this was for me. It's not even for these guys in Concord. This is for me. And so I get to take you guys on that journey this morning, the journey that the Lord has had me on over the last several weeks in the next 35-plus minutes or so. Um, my story, some of you know my story because, remember, I hung out with some of you guys at an event that we did a few years ago. My story is one of redemption. You know, I, I came to Christ at 20. I didn't grow up in the church. I didn't have anybody discipling me. I didn't have anybody pouring into me. God got my attention at 20, and, and um, gosh, and then again at 30, and then again at 40, and then at, now at 46, he gets my attention, and he just keeps doing things. And, and when he did, I was just in awe of the fact that God, that I was basically a Saul, I was basically a Saul, or I basically was a, a Peter. I'm, in fact, I'm significantly not as good as those two brothers, and they were, and they were, they were a wreck. <laughs> but I just, I, that's my story. It's just, I always say this. If God can move in the mess of my life, then there's nobody in this room that's off limits. So I want you to hear that, number one this, this morning, from my heart. We're going to jump in. I'm going to share three different moments in Scripture today. And in these three moments, 
There's something really personal. There's a question that I'm going to ask in these three moments. And I want you to reflect on that question. And then in these, in these three moments that we're going to see, I want you to ask yourself the question today. I don't care how old you are in this room. Ask yourself the question. Do I see myself in that passage? Do I see myself in that passage? Is there anything in God's word this morning that applies to my heart and to who I am? Because I think that there is. Because we're going to look, uh, continue in Mark 14, and it's this little, this little moment where Jesus has he's been with his men, he was in the garden, he's been betrayed by one of his closest followers, and now he finds himself uh, in this courtyard with this Jewish council. Let's look at the scripture, I'm going to read it, follow with me quick, and then I'm going to kind of unpack it a little bit. They led Jesus to the high priest, and all the other priests and the elders and the scribes came together. And Peter had followed him at a distance, right into the courtyard of the high priest. And he was sitting with the guards, and he was warming himself by the fire. Now the chief priests and the whole council were seeking testimony against Jesus to put him to death, and they found none. That's important. They found none. For many bore false witness against him, but their testimony did not agree. And then some stood up, and they bore false witness against him, saying, We heard him say, I will destroy the temple that is made with hands, and in three days I will build another that's not made with hands. Yet even about this, their testimony did not agree. And then all of a sudden, the high priest stands up in the midst. Have you no answer to make? He says to Jesus. Are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? And Jesus says, this is a huge moment in history right here. This is a huge moment in history. And Jesus says, I am and you will see the son of man seated at the right hand of power coming with the clouds of heaven. And the high priest tore his garment. What further witnesses do we need? You have heard his blasphemy. What is your decision? And they all condemned condemned him. And he was deserving death. And then the last verse. They began to spit on him. And to cover his face. And to strike him. And they mocked him and they said, prophesy. I dare you. I dare you, Jesus, in this moment, prophesy. And then the guards received him with blows. So we have this moment in history where our 100% God, in this moment, he was the 100% man. And he's in this moment. And this high priest had a name. This high priest's name was Caiaphas. And here's who Caiaphas was. He was appointed by the Romans to kind of oversee these these gatherings, these council meetings. And it's funny, just the way my brain works, as I was thinking about, what does this council really do? You know what they reminded me of? A hardcore, like, POA or HOA in your neighborhood. You know, man, if I had a dollar for every time I got a letter for my POA or HOA because... Like I left my trash can out too long, or my basketball goal was in my driveway, or there's a boat in your, in your, you know, you get, anybody got it in the letter? Yeah, what's up? Yeah, you get, this is who Caiaphas was. He was the neighborhood president of this community. And he was going to get in the face of anybody that violated the law. 
And there were some things that they assumed that Jesus was all about. So let me just, let me paint the picture of that night, okay? From the get-go, this, this meeting that Jesus was invited into, and I say invited, he was not invited, he was drug into. This meeting was a bootleg, rogue, sketchy meeting from day one. Why? Because when the council of the Sanhedrin would meet, they did not meet at nighttime. They met in the temple in a, in a hall. They met over a period of 24 hours. But in this moment, Caiaphas is meeting in his courtyard of his home, not the temple. They're meeting in the middle of the night before the sunrise, which was illegal in their culture. They have gathered witnesses at 4 a.m. for this trial. Where do you find witnesses for 4 a, at 4 a.m.? Unless you have this strategic plot against this man. Not only did they do that, but they did it on a Friday, which was a day of feast, which was illegal in Jewish culture. So everything about their gathering was illegal. This people group that was all about the law, right? They were all about Jesus isn't doing this, Jesus isn't doing that. This people group that is all about the law has gathered in this bootleg, rogue meeting. And all the while, Peter, Peter is just hanging out by the fire, warming himself. He's just kind of sitting over the side, watching his leader. He's watching his guy. And he's just observing everything that we just read in that text. Just for a little moment, put yourself in that spot. What would it be like to watch someone you love in that moment, go through all of that, and you're just kind of over here in the side, just kind of hanging out by the fire. That's heavy, isn't it? So then this conversation takes place. Caiaphas begins to question Jesus because there's a, there's a first group of witnesses, and this first group of witnesses, it's so sketchy that literally they can't even get their stories to align. So they can't find any guilt in Jesus because nobody is saying the same thing. And then there's the second group of witnesses, and they begin to take some of Jesus' teachings. The temple is going to be, I'm going to tear down the temple and build it with my own hands. Begins to take some of the teachings about, this is my body that's broken for you. They begin to take some of these teachings and say, this man's talking about tearing down the temple. This man's talking about eating the body, communion, the Lord's Supper. And they begin to take some of those teachings, and then all of a sudden, because they had twisted them up and interpreted them, this, this council was beginning to get, this mob was getting angry and they're starting to think, this brother, we might be able to get him after all. And then this conversation happens. Jesus, or Caiaphas asked Jesus this question. He says, are you the Christ? Are you the son of the blessed? Now this is, a, this is why this is significant in history. Because up to this point in Jesus' ministry, rarely if ever did he mention his messiahship publicly. Because the moment that it would come out publicly, he knew it was on. Like there's no turning back once you go that direction. And so he had strategically kept that low key and on the down low. But in this moment, it was time. And so here's what he says. I love this. Not only am I the Messiah, but I am the Son of Man. So here's why that's important. Because the question that Caiaphas asked him 
The question that Caiaphas asked him was enough to convict him. See, in the Jewish culture, Messiah just meant descendant of David. It didn't necessarily mean son of God, but it meant uh, uh, son of David. And so Jesus didn't have to go to the God part of the equation to be guilty. All he had to do was acknowledge, yes, I'm part of the descendants of David. But Jesus doesn't just stop there. He says, not only, not only am I the son of man. I'm going to be seated at the right hand of power. It's just a mic drop. That's a mic drop moment in the ministry of Jesus. Right now, in that moment, history has changed forever. We, we sit here right now because of that moment. We sit here because Jesus finally said, it's time for the crisis. So what's Caiaphas' response in Scripture? At that moment, Caiaphas rips his garments off, which according to Leviticus 21 is also illegal and wrong for a high priest to tear his clothing. So just yet again, in the middle of this rogue, bootleg, nighttime courtyard trial, Caiaphas breaks another rule, and he rips off his clothing, and he kind of loses it. He kind of loses it. This man is guilty. In fact, he's immediately guilty of breaking the Mosaic Law. And if you go back to Mark 10, it, 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 Scripture just talks about it. Not only is he going to be found guilty by the Jews, but he's going to be turned over to the Gentiles. And that's what we see in the next couple days of this story. So we have this guilty Jesus in this moment being mocked, being spit on, being attacked for all these words. And just like in our culture today, there's not much worse than being spit on. And in that moment, that's what's taking place. They blindfolded Jesus in this moment and they said, if you're truly Messiah in the midst of the beatings and the spitting and the torture, if you're truly Messiah, we're going to blindfold you and you should be able to identify who's doing this to you by their smell. So Jesus, we dare you in this moment to be Messiah. We just dare you to do it. Show up and deliver yourself is the test. Well, you go back to Isaiah. The prophet Isaiah predicts this, it predicts this exact same moment in Isaiah 53. Five times in Isaiah 53, we see this story predicted. First Peter, it's not on a slide, but let me read this. First Peter 2, Peter talks about this moment. For you have been called for this purpose. Since once Christ also suffered for you, for me. Let's make it personal. For me. For you. Leaving you an example for you to follow in his steps. Who committed no sin, nor any deceit was found in his mouth. And while being reviled, while being spit on, while being tortured, while being beaten, he did not revile in return. While suffering, he uttered no threats, but he kept entrusting himself to him who judges righteously. In the middle of the attack, in the middle of this beatdown, Jesus trusted his dad. So my question for us, the first question this morning is this. How often do we feel this way? How often do I feel in my own spiritual journey alone or betrayed, or victimized, 
or being the centerpiece of scandal. Like there's some young people, in, like I'm convinced, you guys, if you're under the age of like 22, this is not a, there has never been a harder time in our culture to be your age than right now. We talked about it. Nick, we talked about it. Like it's, it's tough because the access that we have to the things that we have access to, keeping up with our friends, keeping up with people that don't think like us or that judge us for the way we act or look at us like we have two heads. Man, Scripture's clear. If you're a believer in this culture, you're an alien. You don't belong here. You're just visiting here for, God willing, about 80 years. We are just hanging out on earth. But there is no bigger time to, to, to be an alien in this culture that's harder for you young people. It's hard for us too, but it is really hard if you're young. You feel it every day, don't you? You feel it every day. So how many times in our life do we feel alone and mistreated and betrayed? And, you know, this, this, think about, think about your, your dining room table. I thought of this imagery, a centerpiece. Usually they have something significant. And in this moment, in the centerpiece, Jesus is in there, and he is the centerpiece of scandal. But here is what makes that imagery even worse. Peter is watching. Jesus' guy is just a few feet away watching as his follower, or as, as his leader is being treated this way. How is it in our own lives when we're feeling all those emotions and people that love us and are in our life are just watching? Have you ever been there? It's significant. And so as I was walking through this, I began to feel sorry for myself a little bit, right? Because we get like, yeah, I can relate, Jesus. I've been alone, and I've been betrayed, and I've had some people say some junk about me that ain't right, and on and on and on. And then I, I, just, I just stopped, and I thought, Mike, get over yourself. You're not Jesus. And what, and what he went through in that moment is a ten times, a hundred times, a million times worse than anything I've ever been through. The only reason that you're in here and that I'm up here is because of that moment. That moment needed to happen for Jesus to do what he wants to do in the middle of your heart and mine. Fair? Amen? I mean, that's real. It had to happen. It had to occur. But the truth is I do feel that way. The challenge for us today is we can't stay in that place. I found myself over the last several years, I would have moments where I would slide into that place. Oh, woe is me. Oh, wow, I wish this. Jesus needed to go through that moment. Because there's something greater coming. Let me give it to you. The next passage, the next little story this morning. It's Peter's denial. We've all heard this story. Peter four, or Mark 14 and as Peter was below in the courtyard, so remember, all this is taking place. He's over off on the side. As he's below in the courtyard, one of the servant girls of the high priest comes up to him and says, Hey, are you, are you with the Nazarene? Are you with Jesus? But he denied it. And he says, I neither nor nor understand what you mean. In other words, he just plays dumb, right? He's like, man, I, I don't have any clue what you're talking about. I'm just over here at the fire, just kind of like with my popcorn, just kind of watching this thing unfold. 
I'm just chilling over here, just minding my own business. So, no, I do not know him. Move on. And he went out into the gateway, and then all of a sudden the rooster crows. Because you remember earlier in Mark, you probably, it was probably last week, you know, because uh, in Mark uh, 21 or 29, I think, that we, we see that passage. The rooster crows. And then the servant girl comes up to him, a different one, and she says, she whispers, this man is one of them. He's, he's, he's with that guy. Well, Peter hears it, and he says, no, 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 time out. I told you I was not with him. And then the, the bystanders then hear this conversation. The bystanders hear this, and they say, certainly, certainly you are the Galilean. But he began to invoke a curse on himself and to swear, I do not know this man of whom you speak. And immediately the rooster crowed a second time. And Peter remembered how Jesus had said to him, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. And depending on the version of scripture you have, it says this. And he broke down and he wept. I bet he did. Have you ever been in a moment like that? Where in the midst of a decision that you might make or something that you've, been, you've said, that the moment that decision was over, you're reminded of God's truth? Have you? Like daily for me. <laughs> I know better. So here's a little observation of some things that are specifically happening in that text. And I'm telling you, I, I could take Peter's name out and insert my name here. Peter's presence <clears throat> was a testimony to his love for Jesus. But unfortunately, his love could not stand the test of fear. Peter loves Jesus. He's in the middle of this because he cares about this man that he sees being mistreated and, 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 and wronged. But he doesn't care enough in that moment to stand up. And that's why I think we can relate to the story. Because we've had people in our lives who haven't cared enough in moments to stand up. But if we're being honest with ourselves, we have also been the people that have stood over by the fire and warmed our hands. Haven't we? While people that we love or people that are our neighbors or others in our life that we've just kind of sat quiet and just kind of observed and ate our popcorn and just kind of sat to watch the drama unfold. So we have this moment, particularly after the first one. Peter's by the fire. He gets, he gets called out. He denies it. And then he retreats. He retreats. Scripture says he retreats to an archway. And he begins to hide out. And this archway creates a little shadow. And there's a principle there for our lives that the moment that we get found out is the moment that we begin to hide out. The moment that, that somebody calls me out on my junk is when I, when I kind of will kind of retreat a little bit over here because I don't, I, don't, I don't want you to call me out on it again because it's uncomfortable. And sin in my life does that and sin in your life does that. So tuck this one away. The moment that we get found out is the moment that we hide out. And so he hides out in the archway, but he, he's not getting out of this moment. He is not getting out of this moment in history. At the end of this, 
we see that Peter drops out of the picture after Jesus' resurrection. And he broke down and he wept. And he vanishes. And we don't see him because he has this uh, moment where he realizes that he is too weak in these moments to stand up for what he truly, truly believes in. And therefore, he is overwhelmed with guilt and shame. He's like, I'm not worthy to be one of these disciples. I'm not worthy to stay in the game. What good am I, in, good am I to Jesus? I need to vanish. I don't have any right. You see why this stuff like will mess with you when you get in there for a few weeks and you chew on it? Because you're like, oh, shoot, I'm Peter. That's me. Uh, I don't have any right to stand up here and to do this. It's only by God's goodness, again, and that's what Peter's going through in this moment. And so here is this principle that's kind of embedded in here for me and for you and for Christ Point and for Cabarrus County and for Charlotte and for North Carolina and for the United States and North America and the world. Here is this principle, and that is this, that uh, if Peter in the presence of Jesus, could deny. In the presence of Jesus, I mean like maybe 25 feet away, could deny him in the midst of that, how much more could I? And how much more could you? Peter lived with Jesus. He did ministry with Jesus. He fished with Jesus. He, he broke bread with Jesus. He, he did the Lord's Supper with the Lord himself. Like, he, he did life with the Prince of Peace. And when he was called on to step up, he hid out. He stepped out. So the principle there is, uh, so can I. And so have I. So, the good news is we don't have to hang out there. There's two handles that we grab onto in the midst of any moment that Peter was going through. And think of, think of those moments in your, in your journey, right? There's, there's kind of four elements that kind of make up us as individuals. There's our life journey, our faith journey, the things we're passionate about, and the things we're really good at. And think about your faith journey and your life journey. Think about those moments in your faith and life journey when you've been confronted with a decision that you needed to make about either whether, where, where am I going to go to school? What am I going to do with my life? Am I going to fall into this sin or that sin, this friend or that friend? Am I going to take this job or that job? What zip code do I want to live in? Do I want to be in 28078 or 72712? Where do I want to land? These decisions that we face in life, there's only two things that we face that, 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 that we can address in that. And one, we grab the handle of fear or we grab the handle of faith. There's only two handles that we grab in those moments. Is, is Christ Point going to hang out here at the Y or are we going to move somewhere else? What's God calling us to do? Are we going to grab the handle of fear and be paralyzed? Or are we going to grab the handle of faith and be catalyzed? What are we going to grab onto in these moments? And in that moment, in Peter's journey, he grabbed the handle of fear. And in my life, I for sure have grabbed the handle of fear. But I'm just telling you, the moments where God has shown up the most in my life have been when I've grabbed onto the handle of faith and trusted him that he is going to deliver me regardless of my life journey and faith journey and skill sets and the things that I'm passionate about. We have to grab this handle of faith. 
So Peter drops out of the picture. He's not worthy, so he thinks. He's embarrassed. He probably feels like a terrible follower, you know, and I got to imagine if I'm hanging out with him in that moment and we're just, we're just like grabbing coffee somewhere, he probably at this moment is all like all up in his fields, right? Like he's just like, he's the lowest of the low. And I cannot get this brother pulled up out of the gutter because he's just, he's just in a funk. So if I said, hey, everybody say amen, amen, let's pray. And I said, have a great week. We would leave here in a funk. <laughs> We're like, shoot, is this what happens? I just kind of walk away and weep, and then that's it. There's no ministry. There's no second chance. There's no Jesus redeeming, doing his thing. But it doesn't end there because God's better than that, and Jesus has a plan. And there's this little story that's tucked in the book of John. It's not found in any of the other gospels. And it's this moment of restoration between Peter and Jesus. John 21 It's verse 15 through 19. It's this really uh, deep theological truth of redemption and restoration. I'm going to read it to you. When they had finished breakfast, Jesus, Jesus said to Simon Peter, Simon, son of John, do you love me more than these? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, feed my lambs. He said to him a second time, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And he said to him, yes, Lord, you know that I love you. And he said to him, then tend my sheep. And then Jesus says to him a third time, he says, Simon, son of John, do you love me? And Peter was grieved because he said to him the third time, do you love me? And he said, Lord, you know everything. You know that I love you. And then Jesus looked at him and he says, then feed my sheep. Feed my sheep. Truly, truly, I say to you, when you were young, Peter, you used to dress yourself and walk wherever you wanted. But when you're old, you will stretch out your hands, and another will dress you and carry you where you do not want to go. He did this. This was actually kind of a prophetic moment of Jesus speaking over Peter's life. Then he said this to show him what kind of death he would encounter and he would glorify God with. And after this, he looks at Peter and he says, follow me. So let me give you a tiny bit of backstory right there, okay? Peter had not seen Jesus for a while, right? Because he just bounced. He just rolled out. And then there's this moment where Peter had re-engaged his men, his brothers, his disciples. It's Peter and six other disciples. They're fishing on the Sea of Galilee. They're doing what they do. They are professional fishermen. They are professional sailors. That is what they do. You remember the the, the storms on the Sea of Galilee from a, a few weeks back in Mark 6? You guys walked through those storms. These guys knew this water. This was, this was very um, familiar territory for them being on this water. And they're out there fishing. And they see this guy on the shore. And they can't recognize him. But this guy yells at him in, in, at the boat. And he says, hey, guys, how's the fishing today? Like, are you, are you having any luck? It's like the number one question that guys ask each other when they're on the water, isn't it? Like, you go by a boat. How's the fishing? It's great. Terrible. How's the fishing? And the guy said, well, it's not, it's not so great. Well, tell you what, take the net and throw it over on that side of the boat. And they're like, man, this, who is this brother talking to us? Like, he's not out here. We... So they throw the net, and immediately the boat tips to the right side. The net is immediately filled with fish. The net doesn't tear. They can't even get the fish back in. And then they, these brothers look at each other like, oh, shoot, I think that's Jesus. And immediately, Peter was dressed, dressed for his other job. 
immediately what he does when he recognizes that's Jesus, he strips his clothes off, he gets naked, he jumps into the water, he swims to the shore, and he finds himself at the feet of the master. Is that moment sweet or what? Oh, if we would just strip it all away and go to his feet. Because that's what he's calling for. Peter had been living with the shame of how he had left his leader alone. And he swims to the shore, and then we hit that passage that I just read. They're having breakfast, and then they begin to have that conversation. And here's what's significant about that conversation. There's a few moments in Scripture where Jesus refers to Peter as Simon Peter. And they're always in moments where Jesus is getting ready to just drop the nugget of truth on Peter. He's getting ready to request something big of his men. He's getting ready to tell them something that's big that's about to happen in his life. And in this moment, he is getting ready to call Peter. He is getting ready to restore Peter back into ministry. He's getting ready to redeem something that was once broken and once sat all alone and wept and was bitter. And he's getting ready to pull him back into ministry. And not only is he going to pull him back into ministry, he's getting ready to give him the best task that any of us could ever be called to. And that is to tend to the flock. To make disciples. To love people. Peter, just can you be me for a while here on earth? I know you've been through some junk, bro. I know you sat and warmed your hands, and I know you hid out. I told, in fact, I knew it so much, Peter, that I actually told you you would. Remember? And yet, in the midst of that, he's like, I have, a, I have something for you. I don't know about you, but I am... Super thankful for restoration, aren't you? Amen? Are you thankful that God takes you and didn't leave you where you once were? I wouldn't be alive today if I was where I once was. So here is the question. How often do we live this way? How do we feel this way? That was the trial before the Sanhedrin. How often do we respond this way? That was Peter's denial. How often do we live this way? As totally, 100% restored individuals and redeemed individuals. How often do we cling to that truth that God is in the business of taking junk and making something beautiful? It doesn't matter if you're in this room and you're 13 or if you're 83. It doesn't matter. There's not one of us, brothers or sisters, in this room that has figured this thing out. And because of that, we get to cling to Jesus who says, I, mean, I don't care if you figured it out. George, I don't care. I don't care if you figured it out. I want to use you. George, I want to use you in the life of men and in your family. And I want you to stand out. I want you to welcome people when they walk into this place. George, that's how I'm going to use you. And he does that with all of us. He makes it really personal, and he takes our life journey and our faith journey and our talents and our passions, and somehow he weaves them together, and then he gives me this thing called a call, and then he walks with me through it. I don't have this on a slide, but I'll, I'll just I'll say this. Is what does it look like for us? And I'm talking to you, I'm talking to you that are in junior high or middle school or high school, and those of you that are in uh, 
maybe even the last few chapters of time on earth. What does it look like to live a life where your identity is found in Jesus and your hope is restored and you can go out and change lives? Because the only thing that's going to make Christ Point um, missional and healthy and maximum kingdom impact is if every person in this room, regardless of your age, regardless of your story, if you would embrace that God is in the business of restoring you. That he's inviting you to the shore to have breakfast with him so he can look you in the eye and say, tend my sheep, feed my sheep, tend my sheep. Wherever you're at. My own story, I resonate with this statement that church that I was a part of for a lot of years would say is that somewhere in our church, somewhere in our community, is there's this man. And this man is probably not the greatest husband. Um, he may struggle a little bit with materialism. He may struggle a little bit with lust of the flesh. He may struggle a little bit with drinking too much. He may struggle with just loving his wife enough and, and loving his kids. He's just okay at that kind of stuff. And he's really good at some other stuff, but so, and he doesn't lead his family at all because he doesn't know how because nobody ever poured into him. And it's our job as the church, as your job as the church, to find him and to equip him and to encourage him and to lead him and to pour into him and then release him. And that guy is a future elder at this church. And that's my story. That was my life. It is my life. And so I resonate with it because God wants to take you and redeem you. And you, and you, and you, and me. God's good, amen? Y'all feel that this morning? I'm telling you. He's not playing around. The task is big. And he, and he invites us into the task. Let me pray. Ooh, Lord, I love you. I love you. I love you, I love you, I love you. I thank, that, I thank you that you could show up in a place today and you just do your thing. You could do you, you could be you. I pray, God, that there would be something that came out of your word today that would just penetrate uh, a heart in this room. And I pray for, for Chris and for Billy and for James and for Jody and Melissa and, and, and all the leaders that are part of this place. I pray you keep them humble and grounded and leaning into you and trusting you and, 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 and purified in you. I pray you keep them unified. I pray you bring this body together and the things that would flow out of this place would bleed into living rooms and the things that are happening in living rooms would bleed out into this city. And I pray that you would just have your handprints on this place and I pray that Christ Point would be fingerprints everywhere and name nowhere, that they would just have a maximum impact in this community, that lost people would come to Jesus, that they would serve the city well. And there would be a ton of people out there that don't even know this, this place exists, but they will be here in the future and that they'll be loved well. Help us to believe that you're in the business of redeeming us and help us just to buy into it, to believe it. We give you all of it this morning. Amen.